0: Welcome to another exciting edition of Day 4 with the man Frank Scalish. It is Day 4, number 88. Oh, man,
1: I'm writing it down. I got to write it down every show. You know what
0: I remember about 88, Frank Scalish?
1: Right run 88?
0: No, uh, Eric Lindros, Philadelphia Flyers. Big, uh, I was a big Lindros fan, aside for you know, also Gretzky and Jager growing up, but Eric Lindros was 88, and I was a young young lad, and my parents took awesome. me to see Eric Lindros play in St. Louis, was big Brett Hull fan as well, and Eric Lindros got a checking from behind penalty in the first 35 seconds and was disqualified from the game, <laughs> so I got to watch... <laughs> One shift of number 88. You got to see
1: one play. One One
0: play, but that is neither here nor there. It is a recorded show today. uh, Thursday, October 6th. And currently, as this show premieres on uh, the BTL YouTube channel, I am feverishly flogging cane piles for Spotted Bass in the Lake Hartwell Open
1: outstanding that would be fantastic
0: looking you, forward you sent to that. me a
1: picture of your uh, arsenal
0: i'm that. working on get working impressive. on getting the spotted bass arsenal uh together oh, yeah. and uh from all all uh reports um should be a fantastic tournament so looking forward right. to that one uh but yeah uh last week on uh day four we kind of teased what today's show is going to be about it's a multi-species extravaganza
1: Right, and so and don't go anywhere because this all relates to bass fishing. So don't don't go. Oh my God, they're going to talk about you know muskies.
0: <laughs> we are talk about a lot of things.
1: We're talking about a ton of things, and I have a few little props uh, put really? together. Yeah, little props. Not, I like
0: day four not, props.
1: Yeah, day four props are exciting. Um, it, dude, you got to try you got to try that uh, forward facing sonar minnow for yum on them spotted bass
0: yeah that should work
1: do they those I things... feel
0: like there's been a few that have been fooled on Hartwell by it, perhaps by a man from Oklahoma <laughs> it's a very in the strong recent
1: possibility. Year. it's a very dude those things look alive man they 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 look good i I'm very excited because um I'm getting everything in the boat is finally getting tweaked up, and I can start getting on Lake Erie again, and so I am like. Very excited to fish those things for some Great Lake smallmouths. I'm really excited about it. Awesome. The, the other thing I'm going to do with I'll talk about the other thing I'm going to do with those in a, in a little while.
0: Okay. Also, there is a, a correlation with uh, uh, how fishing for other species can enhance your bass fishing uh, as an overall. With uh, some of the specials that are going on on LureNet, like we always do, we uh, we kick off the show with. Uh, how your yeah, wife, right. how you can hide uh, purchases from your <laughs> wife or significant other.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Just have this stuff shipped to work.
0: <laughs> I have had that. I had a buddy who's like, hey, package coming to your house.
1: <laughs> exactly, 100%. <laughs> hey, why did you get five BB1s in the mail yesterday? Oh, that's for work. <laughs> <sighs> so, yeah, so, you know Remember too, because I forgot last week, um, the the bundle packs, the six pack bundles are twenty percent off um, throughout the whole month. So um, I completely forgot that. The other thing I, I stuttered on was all the um, all the Norman Canary colors are gone, except there's a few left in the NXS. So if you guys want a really good Fast diving plug from Norman. The NXS is super good. There's a, I think there's a hundred of them left maybe, but all the other ones are, are gone for now. And I say for now because it's temporary. Um, and then, of course, it's October 6th through the 12th. It's crappie time uh, for the fall sale. Crappie jigs, crappie plastics, and crappie crankbaits.
0: Yeah, crappie crankbaits. I've never I've never done the crappie crankbait thing. I feel like that's a little bit above my skill level.
1: No, actually, dude, you would be sick fantastic at it because of your ability with forward-facing sonar. So what these guys are doing, especially this time of year, um, they troll Bandit 300s. It's a big bait. Dude, they murder the crappies on that bait. That bait actually... That bait is actually a bass bait, but um, it's turned into like a massive crappie machine. And so I did a bunch of new colors uh, for that in for crappie
0: fishing. I saw that. I was wondering why there are some some they look more like salmony, like yeah, crappie colors, pinks right. and solid baits on that. And I was looking at the 300 colors and was like, boy. They're uh they're really really expanding the color selection, but now it makes more sense.
1: Right, it's totally it's specifically, and it'll say crappie on it. You know, it'll say Bandit three hundred. You know, crappie color or whatever. Um, but it's it's unbelievable. See, I, I was kind of um, and here you know who turned me onto it was um, P Really,
0: Mississippi yeah. pro he was I'm talking about stuff like that
1: yeah he was the bandit dude and, and that um he's a great guy too and that yep and that yeah well you wait till you see some of my new stuff that's coming out down the pipe you guys will freak out really good high-end really good 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 crappie colors. um but you know so they they fish them suspended fish and they troll they troll through them um and then they cast for them too if they're if they're structure related like you guys know from our bass our structure Mm -hmm. fishing bass shows a lot of times the bass will pull up on a structure especially smallmouth are notorious for this they pull up on the structure but then they suspend away from the structure um and that's what the crappie do exactly what the crappie do actually and then you can throw the bandit 300s on them and and slay them i mean just slay them so it's really kind of cool
0: neat uh when we did the uh, tour through your uh, attack room and studio, it's obvious that you are not a one trick pony. It's not small no. mouth, large mouth or spots, which I mm-hmm. guess would be three ponies, but all <laughs> under the same. I'm a 50 trick pony, <laughs> <laughs> but you, you really like the saltwater stuff. You do the ice fishing stuff. You crappie fish, you walleye fish, musky. you uh, musky fish, yeah. and it's all part of it. And, Uh, I I think something that's a little talked about and there'll be some articles that I've seen out there. I know certain guys who really like to, uh, crappie fish and salmon fish or some offshore guys like Vina does it trout, all sorts of stuff, guys, uh, uh, who do offshore boats. But, uh, what's interesting is there's a common thread in, in angling. Would you not say like, like a good fisherman, a good angler is a, is a good angler, not just on one species.
1: Yeah, I would, I could buy that. I could buy that 110%. Back in my, back in my early days of, of Bassmasters, I needed, I needed a break from Bassmasters, really. I needed a break from the, just the tournament grind. Um, And so I took up saltwater fly fishing because we would always, we would always go to Florida for Bassmasters in January. Mm-hmm. OK, so we would be down in that area and then we'd be in the southern states throughout pretty much most of the cold spring up north. And then we would gravitate to the lakes up north. So what was happening was um, my wife's family had a condo on Sanibel Island. And so they would always go down there early spring for vacation. I would always be on the road with Bassmasters so I started bopping down there in between events when they were down there I would meet them down there and um I didn't know much about much saltwater fly fishing but I I knew enough about fly fishing that I'm packing my stuff and I'm going down there and I'll you know fly fish while I'm down there and just put all the bass stuff away get it out of my head and do stuff new and so back in the day Um, I fished with the Powell used to make fly rods prior to getting into the bass world. Powell was known for their fly rods. Um, and I had fished Powell fly rods quite a bit. Well, when, when, um, I got involved with Powell, I made him work on a, a switch rod for steelhead fishing which was an 11 and a half foot. You could nymph with it. You could swing streamers, et cetera, et cetera. So I brought a couple down to Florida with me um, just to fish them. And then anyway, started to, you know, using my fishing abilities, uh, you know, running out there when the tide goes out, looking for all the um, grass flats and where they – make points where all the runs create little ditches. Um, so when the tide comes up, you know, the fish are running up them ditches. When the tide goes down, you know, they're filtering out the ditches. Um, ki- kind of like tidal fishing for bass. No different. Okay. So redfish, um, you know, the redfish, the snook, they behave the same way the bass do with the tides. Um, so it wasn't hard to figure all that out. Uh, saltwater fishing, but, it it really put things into place for me, like I'm going to the Potomac for the first time. Um, I already understood how the fish move with the tide because of saltwater fly fishing in the flats. Okay, I knew that when the tide's coming out, I got to get to them drains and the bass are going to come to me. I knew when the tide comes in, I got to move up because the bass are going up um i knew they would spread out in high tide they tighten up in low tide that's why the falling tide is the best bite on tidal rivers because all the bass are coming together in a common area very predictable same thing with saltwater fly fishing so all this stuff kind of you know it 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 relates i mean Mm -hmm. fishing for other species teaches you a lot about the environment um you know let's be honest Bass eat bay fish, crappie eat bay fish, right? Mm -hmm. Bass eat crappie. So if you understand how these fish move throughout the ecosystem, you understand more about where basses are going to be based on whatever system they're in. Okay. So, you know, and it's just, it's just crazy. Um, The current fishing in the rivers, for example, like I love river fishing because current makes everything 10 times more predictable it's way more predictable when you have current in a situation um that's why you know we talked the last show about the ohio river and stuff um cutting my teeth on the ohio river wasn't a stretch because of all the steelhead fishing and trout fishing that i did in the river systems so it all everything comes together i guess uh when it comes to bass fishing
0: that's good stuff. Uh, we've also done several shows lately about trying to to bass fish through what is across most of the country the toughest time of the year, in my opinion, to to catch bass. Uh, you have lakes that are turned over. I mean, I just got done with the two opens where you know it took seventeen pounds to make the top ten on the red. It took like twenty right. pounds to it. Ten pounds a day. You're talking to, dude. Burnout is a real thing. And if you're a bass fisherman you're and you're out, you're how you're getting through a really tough stretch especially if you're a tournament fisherman like everyone likes to catch something no one I, mean, I understand there's learning and stuff involved but man it's the it's the thrill of catching something of the bite of of fighting something but uh it's i think burnout is easy to do yeah. uh but the beautiful thing is there's more species than just the bass and there's right. always a species that's going then that's the peak time for them and as long as you are uh able like you said you kind of rejuvenate like you would do down in florida and go catch them so uh more so than like a tips or tactics show i think this is kind of like a resetting show and how you can stay with your passion and rejuvenate yourself for another year of bass fishing through all these other species and that's kind of what we're going to walk through today are the other species and what you've learned uh right we're going to read the title thing
1: right today's going to be a reboot um you know i'll be brutally honest uh i fished bass masters for 11 years and there were times when um i didn't really want to catch a bass um i would come back from three weeks on the road of doing nothing but you know bass fishing every day and and, and, and it all mattered. You know what I mean? It was, it was your livelihood. It, it all mattered. And then when I would come home, my kids would be like, we got to go fishing. We got to go fishing. Um, and, the, and it's the last thing I wanted to do. And so I would do, I'd be like, okay, let's go. We're going to go downtown and we're going to catch rock bass. You know what I mean? And they didn't care. They mm-hmm. were little kids. They didn't care. They just want to catch something and so we would throw little crankbaits and quarter round spinnerbaits and catch mugombo sized rock bass and i'd bring a bunch home fillet them and we'd cook them and eat them and we made a we made an event out of it you know what i mean and it takes it's just a wind down you know cuz when you're casting for cash all the time every fish matters Every decision matters. And, and you have to get away from that sometimes just so you could start to think freely again when you go bass fishing. The, the worst thing I noticed um, in, my, in my, and I can only say mine because it's personal, um, but in my bass fishing, my bass fishing started to suffer when I started forcing everything. And when I started forcing everything, it it was because of a a situation where I was struggling in an event or I was having a little more difficult time figuring out the bass's locations. Um, Then I start to force the issue. Well, I like throwing this, so I'm throwing this. Uh, I can always catch fish on this. You know what I mean? And then Mm -hmm. I, I started not looking at the big picture Consequently, I'd come home and I'd go, dude, let's. I look at my sons. I go, let's go pound some crappies today. And we'd go out and we'd pound the crappies. And the next thing I know, I'm like going, man, the bass should be setting up over here. The bass should be setting up over there based on what the crappie are doing, based on where the shad are at. And the next thing you know, I'm going back out bass fishing and I'm plowing them. Because everything's clicking again. I had a chance to step away and look back. You know what I mean? And that, and, there, and the coolest thing here, you know what? We're talking about crappie. There's a crappie sale going on on LureNet. I do not have, as of yet, forward-facing sonar. Okay? Mm-hmm. I'm getting it, but I don't have it yet. Matt, you catch a lot of giant crappies off of forward-facing sonar. Mm-hmm. Don't you think that that makes you a 10 times better bass angler using forward-facing sonar?
0: The targeting the crappie? Yes. Yeah. I want to go back a step further. So way before I had forward-facing sonar, which I've only had since uh, late 2019, uh, Lake Thunderbird, uh, my my buddy Juice and I would go out and I would fish these uh, piles for bass in the Wednesday nighters all year long. Well, they were in 12 to 15 foot of water and you know, I'm, I like to say I'm a, a finesse guy. I love the drop shot, the Mickey rigging, vertical presentations uh, over deeper water. And I'm like, well, how'd you how'd you learn that? Like, Why well, how'd you get good on that? You're from Illinois. You live in Oklahoma now. Like it's not like you're like a West Coast dude or a Northern dude. And the more I thought about it, it 100 100 had to do with the time from October through March. Of going out to Lake Thunderbird and knowing where these piles were, finding them on 2D sonar, dropping a marker buoy over, taking an eighth ounce jig head, and on my 2D, dropping my jig straight down to the top of these brush piles where I can see the angle of my line going in the jig and watching the squiggly lines of the crappie come up. Yeah, and I would call Juice and say, dude, I found them on the pile. And we would go out and we would we would catch them all winter long. It's thirty-seven <laughs> fish a person in Oklahoma, right? Oh, 37 crappie. Yeah, so it's you can good. do it all day. But that translated so much uh to the bass fishing with the drop shot then, because I gained the confidence of being able to go out, locate a brush pile, drop a marker buoy, put my bait directly above mm-hmm. the target watch the fish on 2d come up eat it and repeat it over and And over over. and over again and that translated to bass fishing then when i began drop shotting then the forward-facing sonar you know came into play and it was it was the same thing it was very easy to get feedback to find fish i think the hardest thing is if you're going out and you're trying to target bass Feedback is important. And other species, there's other species that are so much easier to catch than bass. That's a matter of fact. And when you can go out, do something, learn it, and catch those species, it becomes so much applicable then to bass fishing once you've had success with it with crappie.
1: Right, because you can get success with it because Mm -hmm. you can duplicate it. So Frankie and I, we crappie fish our brains out. And in the wintertime, it's all just like you said, 2D sonar we're vertical on top of them we're throwing little ice jigs mm-hmm. tipped with a wax worm you see the you see the crappie come up out of the brush top you see him eat it everything so frankie goes out and this is early early on in his um you know fishing prowess cuz he he's aspiring to do bass fishing full time too so so he would call me up he go dad i'm on this lake here and i'm on the crappies i go excellent how deep he goes they're suspending 12 feet deep over 20. i go are there numbers of them or they just No, they're good i said all right when do you want to go he goes let's go back tomorrow and i'd be like okay cool so he would find these crappies and then we would go out and we would basically maul them um vertical 2d sonar just like you said so we're talking about how things translate so he's like dad i'm gonna fish uh um, michigan bfls um you know most of them are on smallmouth fisheries blah 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 going you know part of lake erie lake saint Clair, detroit river etc cetera, etc cetera. and he's like i'm really i'm really you know nervous about it because i i don't have a lot of you know, Great Lake smallmouth fishing. Except for when I'm fishing with you, I don't really have that experience. And I started laughing. And he goes, "What's so funny?" I said, "Dude, you find the walleyes in the crappie like a madman, because that's what he does. He'll he'll go call me up. I'm on walleye. So you want to mm-hmm. catch them? Yeah. I'm on crappie. You want to catch them? Yeah. And I go. So you find these, you know, walleyes in these crappies like a madman. It's the same principle." Only you're gonna look for smallmouth instead of crappies and walleyes. And so he goes out and he does this on essentially we've I've never taken him to those areas of fishing in my life. We only fish pretty much locally on Lake Erie. I've never taken him to those places. So he comes out and he winds up finishing 15th in the points this year. And awesome. it was fantastic. And and here's the funny thing he just utilized his ability to find the crappies in the walleyes and applied them to the smallmouth because crappies and walleyes will reward you immediately when you find them and so you get that confidence i'm seeing this on my graph i'm catching it i'm seeing this i'm catching it and then you understand hey these fish aren't on the rock pile they're 20 feet away from the rock pile so the rock pile is important for the fish relation but that doesn't mean they're always on it you know what i mean and crappie and walleye will do the exact same thing they could be near it same depth as the high spot but way off of it and so he got that confidence doing the crappie and the walleye to go target smallmouth and truth be told I've never bringing him brought him up there to fish. That I, he's never been up there, and so it's the other species that gave him the confidence to know what his sonars was telling him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that that's to me. I think if you now look, everybody, you don't all have to fish for everything that swims. It's all personal preference. But but for me, it always helps me always helps
0: me yeah uh i agree the other thing that that really uh has stuck with me for crappie is whether you are above or below the fish and i think that is with walleye too because crappie typically feed up a lot of active bass now you can get bass that'll feed down but a lot majority time they'll feed up and it's very easy to understand especially when you can see them on your graph or you know what depth they're at bait control as far as getting a bait above where you think the fish are, how you're keeping that bait above their presentation. Uh, I know uh, when uh, the uh, Alabama rig or the the umbrella rig came out, uh, I think that really helped me have success with that because of knowing and watching how those crappie would never go down for a bait when you got below them, but would always come up for a bait. Absolutely, Uh, and it was the same thing when I started going with eighth ounce heads and making sure that that bait the the umbrella rig stayed above the bait because those game fish are way more likely to feed up. Well, I had seen that all that feedback on two D, on the crappie that were way more willing to come up for baits instead of when you got it below. Applicable to the bass as well, and my catch rates with the umbrella rig went through the roof when even if it was. 38 to 42 degree water, you're having fish in 10 foot of water that are coming up to six or seven foot to, to eat a bait that's above them instead of get below them.
1: Right. And you don't want to know the, you want to know a perfect example. So we ice fish a lot, me and Frankie ice fish Mm -hmm. a ton. So one day that we got on a pile of crappies and, and so with ice fishing, what happens is they move and then they come back and they move and then they come back. So the you're you're predicated to a couple of holes that you drill in the ice on or near a structural element. As long as you have fish moving through those through your holes, you can catch them. So they might disappear for 10 or 15 minutes and then they come back because they're just in an area and they're just milling around. So so we had a contest one day You put the, you put the depth lines on your graph. So you have the depth lines, the crappies would come in and we would raise our ice fishing lures higher and higher and higher to see how high we can get a fish to come and bite it. Okay. So the one day, I think the farthest we would get them to come up for it is five feet.
0: So right under your feet.
1: Right. So we would see the fish drop down on them. It would start to come up for it. We would lift it. And he'd come up and we would lift it and we would keep doing that until they would peel away and go back down. Okay. And so we were getting them to commit. Literally, you could almost see them through the ice hole before they would peel away and go back down. And it was the funnest thing, but it, but it also, that also is a learning experience too on, the fish have a threshold too mm-hmm. so so when we talk about jerk baits and everything suspending jerk baits for for bass right some jerk baits go down this far some go down farther some go down even farther so when i took a 24a bomber which was a walleye lure made it suspend so i can keep it down 11 12 feet i did that for a reason because when i was jerk baiting over 15 to 25 feet of water the bass weren't committing to jerk baits that traditionally ran shallower so i knew that there's a certain distance where they're not going to come up for it i had to get below that so the bass would come up and get it and see so all this stuff that we're talking about with other species this is what clued me in onto the range so there's a range so i altered a bait to get me down So the deeper fish would come up to eat the jerk bait because a lot of times you can, you could trigger a bass bite on a jerk bait better than you can on any other lure because it's like a cat playing with a toy. You're teasing him to bite, but if you're above his threshold where he's not going to commit, you, you lose the game. And the only reason I knew that was from ice fishing for crappies, basically um that the fish are not going to they're going to leave at a certain point they're not going to commit and so that that's another very important thing that I learned about bass behavior through another species basically
0: uh I know on Lake Fork also back in the early days like Kelly Jordan was one of the best at differentiating between big white bass and catfish and mm-hmm. largemouth down there with the spoon I ran into this at the Chesapeake Bay uh, I got into a backwater. I actually found a brush pile, and it had big marks all, all around it. This is during official practice, Frank. And I, was, I, I, I said, those look like crappie to me. Well, the only reason I knew they look like crappie was because I've seen a lot of crappie on my graphs. So I flipped a jig in there a couple times. I flipped a drop shot in there, and they would react to it, but I couldn't get them to bite it. I did this in official practice. I've done this before. I dug around in my boat, and I took the back inch and a half out of a hand-poured worm and put it on a fifth-ounce Ned head, (laughs) tied a loop knot, put it on eight-pound test, got over it, dropped it down, shook it twice, said, yep, they're crappie. It went donk, and it was a 14-inch crappie. Oh, nice, dude. And I reeled it in, and I dropped it back down. Bonk, and this time I let it sit down there I've got it on in practice And I watched it all and they all looked the same And I said okay this entire brush pile Instead of trying to figure out or think it was bass Or save it Was able to tell in five minutes it was cropped Now I wasn't catching anything I ended up catching like a dozen Just for fun But <laughs> well, you have to. In, like, in like 15 minutes Like real quick But it also then when I was able to go around And find other things I was able to know what those Fish were on those structures yeah, uh, Same so thing fun. at Cherokee This past year, a lot of roaming fish, a lot of offshore fish, uh, and a lot of them were hybrid stripers. But I was able, because I've spent a lot of time fishing for white bass and targeting white bass and seeing how they behave and what they look like when they're schooling, I was able to determine whether those were smallmouth, largemouth, stripers, or hybrids pretty quickly, and it saved me a lot of time.
1: Right, because you're not wasting time fishing for something you can't weigh in. Yeah. Um, It's perfect. It's perfect. You know, so, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot to other species um, of fishing. Like I, I catch a lot of muskies, especially up here, um, bass fishing, tons of muskies. And I used to get completely and thoroughly annoyed when I would hook a muskie because I'd be, you have to fight them. You're on, you're using bass tackle. They're 48 inches long and you're Mm -hmm. paddling them out and, and, and then they trash every lure you own. Um, and it would make me out of my mind. Um, then I decided that actually I love catching them. So I'm going to actually target them. I'm going to, I'm going to actually like legitimately musky fish. And so I started musky fishing and actually love it. It's, to me, it's a ball. It's, I I don't use musky tackle. I don't use the big lures. Um, I fish for them with my bass stuff. But I'm learning how to catch them. More importantly, I'm learning how to fight them um, without steel leaders, without big line, without heavy equipment. Um, And then, and it's funny because with the steelhead fishing for with the fly rod you're catching you know eight to 13 14 pound trout on you know eight pound tippet material saltwater fly fishing same thing you're catching these giant fish you're fighting them you're going crazy musky same thing um when i hook big bass it's not even a panic i just fight them and land them um I know, I know what the equipment can do. I know how to tire them out faster, uh, you know, by changing directions on them, letting them fight against the rod. Instead of fighting against the line, let them fight against the rod. You're less likely to break them off. That's why you guys always hear me talk about thumbing my bait casters. Mm-hmm. I always thumb them. I never rely on the drag of a reel, the drag of the bait is my emergency. Like if I screw up with my thumb, the drag is the emergency. Um, it's set below the breaking point of the line, but I don't have, I don't rely on it. I rely on my thumb. Um, when I f- catch muskies, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm using my thumb. I'm not using the drag. I'm using my thumb. Um, I learned that fly fishing. When you catch a big giant, you know, steelhead or a salmon on a fly rod, you're palming your fly reel to control the drag with your hand. You're not you're not totally relying on the drag of the reel. And so you do to a degree, but it's the emergency breakoff system. You know what I mean? The drag is there, so I don't if I make a mistake, I don't break the fish off. And that's how I learned how to fight big fish with the baitcaster and my thumb. And I've landed some monstrous fish on my bass tackle that you would be like no you can't do that
0: and that's it, a great point because no. if you're a bass fisherman especially if you're from ohio uh you're not used to no a you're not used to hooking a fish that you do not have hundred percent control over
1: that's very true
0: i have ran into this in my exploits and i'm sure you did too you go down to to falcon you go down to florida you get on gunnersville you're dealing Amistad, you're dealing with fish in a six to ten pound class range that if you if you just bass fish and don't exclude you maybe are in that situation what three, four times a year if you're oh, not yeah. from there, if you're from that, and it is a weird feeling not having control over a fish. It's a oh. weird feeling, is it not, Frank?
1: Oh yeah, your heart's up here the whole time. you're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm gonna lose them, I'm gonna lose them, you know what I mean um and that's and and fishing for all these other big fish, I don't feel like that. I've landed 14, 15 pounds steelhead on hooks so small you can't get the line through the line tie um knowing that that hook's gonna hold the fish as long as I do things right, that hook's holding. You know, I hear bass guys all the time. Oh, I straightened a hook out. Oh, I broke this. Or, oh, and I'm like, I'm using the thinnest wire hook.
0: You fought it wrong.
1: Right. I'm using the thinnest wire hook steelhead fishing, and I've never straightened a hook out. So I don't understand. You know what I mean? If you, you got to fight, the, let the rod fight the fish. Not not you fight the fish. You know what I'm saying? And it sounds weird, but it's the truth. So, so here. So we were on Texas one time. We were on uh, Toledo. I think it was Toledo Bend. And um, I chuck a swim bait out. There's a small stretch of standing timber. I chuck a swim bait out there. And I'm slow rolling that swim bait through the standing timber. And poof, I see this big boil. So I pow. And the hook comes flying out and I have no swim bait on it. I looked down and I had a flipping stick next to me. I pulled the flipping stick up and I pitched the bait out right into the middle of the boil. And my line goes, you know, so I crack the fish and I'm in all the standing timber. I crack the fish and it's fighting, fighting, fighting. It's a big bass. And I, and I'm just like standing on the front deck. Just, I'm not even reeling them. I'm just letting them fight, letting them fight his way out of the timber. I get them out of the trees into open water and it's game over for the bass i got him and i'm just standing there letting him fight my non-boater's losing his mind oh my god oh my god i'm like dude relax i got him he's not going anywhere you know what i mean i reached down over the side of the boat i grab him it was an eight eight and and it was like i knew he was big you know what i mean but I've landed way bigger fish than that on less tackle. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Way less tackle. So it's just, you know, you learn. You don't have to be in a rush.
0: You equipment got thresholds. It's, it's very rare that you get to test your equipment thresholds, especially right. if you're a tournament angler. So if you're going up north and you're not familiar with, let's say six to eight pound test a seven foot medium action spinning rod a size one drop shot hook right. uh it's a very uncomfortable feeling having that small mouth going rrr, rrr. one of the reasons i think i'm really comfortable up there uh is i've tested it a lot with the light lines uh most notably like lake texoma when you're catching stripers now you can there you can go there and catch stripers all the time but there's nothing better than catching 18 inch you know two and a half pounders all the way up to 10 or 12 pound stripers or hybrid stripers like you do it at, at uh, cherokee everyone has a, a power plant lake and in a lot of the country a power plant like big white bass stripers or whatever if you're not comfortable with that style you can go Put 10 pound braid to a six-pound leader. There's zero on the line if you break it off, but it's amazing how you can test the capacity and the capabilities of your rod and reel when you have a five to seven pound striper on. Oh, it's 100%. unbelievable. Boom! Here's what breaks it off. Here's where I have all the give. And it's crazy the amount of the the big fish that you can land on light tackle. Over and over again, and if you were just bass fishing, it would take five years to hook that many big bass and learn how to fight them that you can do in one day when you get an active school of hybrids or strikers.
1: Oh, without a doubt, dude. I, I learned. I learned the. I learned the um, maximum threshold of spinning equipment, fishing for carp in a hot water discharge in the winter time. When I say when I say carp, I mean their head is in my chest and their tails on the deck of my boat. Higgins. big giant you know four and a half five footers we would go in there with eight pound test a white mr twister grub and i would dunk them in anise oil because carp have a sweet tooth and the current from the discharges would be blowing out i'd pitch that thing up against a metal corrugated wall just like if I was trout fishing, I'd let it swing down the current, okay? And as soon as it got behind me, I'd reel it up and I'd throw back in front of me and swing it down the current again. And then all of a sudden, doom, and you get these things and they are so massive and they fight so unbelievable that like, you know, you would fight them and, and, and I would do things like, okay, how much pressure could I put on it? And I would lean on the thing, you know what I mean? And either it'd go kapow, or the fish would give in. You know what I mean? But I learned, I learned that. And so when I hook these big smallmouth on Lake Erie, I let them do what they got to do, man. In fact, when they jump, I don't even try to stop them from jumping. I let them come flying out of the water. What I do, though, is I just lean into them so my line is tight so when they're in the air and they're flailing around i don't have that big loose slack bow in my line Mm -hmm. so i'll let them jump and i just hold them and let them jump as soon as they hit the water again the fight's back in you know what i mean um all this is because of fishing for other things because trout are the same way i said i said how come we always as bass guys, we bury the rod all the way to the handle. We don't want them to jump. And when I'm steelhead fishing, I have a 12 pounder jumping, doing cartwheels out of the water. My fly line is everywhere, okay? It's everywhere and they never come off. So I realized that there's drag on that fly line when it's laying in the water and that fish comes up. There's so much drag on the fly line. It's keeping pressure on that fish. So that's when I realize, if as long as I keep a little tension on them when they jump, I'm not going to lose them. Same thing with my crankbaits; I let them jump, let them come flying out of the water. I just keep the line taut on them. I don't, I don't give, I don't mm-hmm. give them slack, and I don't, and I don't lose them. So plus, it's
0: fun, and it gets back to the joy of fishing. I mean, well, dude, we, you flat. go out and fish, and if you bass fish in a tournament, you fight a fish for like three minutes a tournament. If you're in a bass fishing tournament, you know with heavy line and two two to three pounders, I mean it's the whole thing is whack whack boom in done, right? It's fun to sit there. I mean that's I think the part of the allure of saltwater and offshore fishing and the big fish is. I mean, dude, you sit there and you get to experience the power of the fish and the fight and the ups and the downs and the I'm gonna lose them and the I got them and the exhaustion (laughs) afterwards. That's why the offshore, the big boats, the stuff. That's why no one goes out and hooks one of those giants and says, "Boy, I wish he was smaller."
1: Oh yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, here the musky fishing. Okay, um, like I, I I was filming one day, and I i raised a couple muskies and i said we gotta we gotta move there's too many muskies here we're not going to catch enough bass we gotta move so i move and then i make a long cast all right and i'm reeling this i'm catching them square billing and i reel the square bill i'm reeling the square bill in and i get past all what i'm fishing and you know how when you get past the goods you Boom, you burn it back to the boat, lift it yep. out of the water, make another cast. I get past the goods. I'm burning it back to the boat. I lift it out of the water and boom on the side of my boat. And the boat goes like that. And I look down over the side of the boat and it's this gigantic freaking musky. I mean, it's like that wide in the back. It's gigantic. He He literally smashed into the side of my boat so hard that I could feel it from my front deck. Okay. And I look over to the side and he's like, holy shit, I hit something. You know what I mean? He was like just stunned for a second and then he peels away. So we wind up doing a bass show. And I had so many muskies running this bait down. I said, you know what? I'm coming back. I went back the next day and obliterated them. And here's the funny thing. I'm using... 14 pound fluorocarbon, tiny little square bill. I hadn't, I landed nine. Okay. I landed nine in one day. Lost two. All right. Never broke one off. Never broke one off. No leaders, no nothing. Just fighting them with my I was using a Powell 725 crankbait rod. It's a graphite crankbait rod. Thumbing them, letting them go. They would come flying out of the water, cartwheeling. I had the best time ever. I mean, it was a blast. I didn't care what them fish did. You know what I mean? I was just locked on and I got them. and he's going to do what he does and jump in and, oh, just great. It was great. It was great. And, it, and I got, I'm like addicted to it. Mm-hmm. I catch them deep cranking all the time. I ca- there's a there's a lake in southern Ohio where where they where d- dude you, when they're offshore you catch them, and so I, I catch them offshore over there deep cranking. But there's nothing more exciting than catching them this far below the surface. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're just they're just ballistic, um, and it's a ball. It's a lot of fun, and I don't I don't. I haven't broke one off yet. Uh, now I'm going to screw myself for Friday. Yeah, you're going to break them all off on Friday. I know. Now Friday they're going to choke on it, and then it's going to be the end of it.
0: <laughs> um, what's interesting to me also is on how uh, other species, you can learn from them during uh, like weird weather events too. And I learned about uh, shad kills a long time ago, actually blue cat fishing. Oh yeah, dude. Uh, there's a, a lake around here that's really good for blue cats. And my buddy, I was gonna film a film a show, little deal. And he's like, "Dude, we'll fill the boat." And we get out there, and he call, calls me. He says, "It's gonna suck." And I said, "Why?" He goes, "Because it was warm. It's super cold now." He said, "There's gonna be a shad kill us." Ah, no, it won't be that bad. <laughs> well, it was like glitter, right? Oh yeah. And you know, we found some. We got we he netted the shad. We were in his boat. He knows where. You know, he's very good out there. Very talented. And he sits down and he's like, we might catch one or two. And I said, why? He said, well, the shad kill. He said, they're they're literally stuffed there. He goes, we have to drive around and find an area of the lake either where there isn't a shad kill or find fish that are moving or something. And we ended up not catching anything that day at all. Uh, And then I ran into that. I've run into that scenario several times in early season bass tournaments as well, relate it back to the blue cats Bass act the same way. It's really hard to get them to bite during a shad kill. But what you learn is there are sections of the lake that aren't affected by the shad kill. So even if it's not the A-plus section of the lake, I'd rather fish a section that doesn't have a major shad kill going on because of what I've experienced from other species. And then with the bass, it just helped accelerate that learning curve of saying, hey, here's what happened. Here's how it related. These fish didn't eat because of this. This is the same thing that the bass are doing.
1: 100%. I mean, it's true. It's absolutely true. You know, we talk about we, we talk about a lot of things and 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 uh, on this show. And sometimes, like today's show, is not especially a, a deep dive into a certain technique. Today's mm-hmm. show is just very broad about fishing in general. So things that you learn, right? So I I, I go perch fishing on Lake Erie. And I drop shot for him. I don't use the perch spreader with all the things. I just (laughs) drop shot for him. And I I was with a buddy of mine and he's, he's not a, he's not a seasoned angler. He loves it, but Mm -hmm. he's not seasoned by any stretch. So we launch the boat and we go out and he's like, all the boats are over there. Why are we going the other way? I said, do you think that's the only place in the lake where there's a perch? You know what I mean? We're going away because I don't want to be near all those guys. So, we're going to go in a different place and we're going to look for them. So, I know that there are certain times when the mud flats are really good because of all the bugs and stuff that come out of the mud flats, and the perch feed on those little tiny shrimp and, you know, little bugs that come out of the mud. So, we go over there and I'm just, I drop my trolling motor and I start trolling motor around and he's like, dude, what are we doing, man? I said, take a deep breath, man. When we find them, we're going to slaughter them. And so sure enough, I'm trolling motor around and they stack vertically. Um, They look like just mm-hmm. like that. So I go, Oh, there they are. Drop the drop shot down got them fight them reel them in so i had taken these um i remember you know the float and fly for that we fish in the cold weather for yeah for smallies yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah. float and fly so i had made drop shot hooks to look like the float and fly so if i if they took my minnow off the back of it i still had a minnow you know, representation mm-hmm. there. And so I was catching them on basically on a floating fly, but not with the jig head just tied on a hook. And um I got to thinking about that. I'm like, man, I I can make flies like that for drop shot and for smallmouth. Then I wouldn't have to change soft plastics every five minutes. So I made some and and little prop. We got little props today. So I made some, and I talked about these float and fly, I mean, these drop shot flies for smallmouth in another episode. So I I got some so I could show them to you guys. So that's my emerald emerald shiner pattern, right? Gorgeous. Okay. So you can see it's translucent. Okay. It's got the gut bag that I like to put on there so much. It's solid, right? And then it's translucent as it goes back. When the thing gets wet, it really teardrops. It really makes a good teardrop, and That'll it's really—it's
0: a good screenshot for the lead of the show right there.
1: <laughs> what me sucking on a fly? <laughs> <laughs> and so, <laughs> anyway, so that's the, thats the shape it makes. Lo and behold, it works, and the small mouths love the thing. Okay. So then I then I did the perch I made a perch pattern also for and I did this basically for like Oneida and Champlain. Boom. Made, made the perch pattern. Okay. I'd
0: like to see what that looks like uh wetted down, Uncle Frank.
1: I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> I may be good at it, but I'm not doing it. <laughs> so anyway, so but but the but all the but all the Fly fishing and stuff that I do um lended itself well for me to to do that stuff and an experiment, get a little bit outside the box, mm-hmm. have something somebody else doesn't have. Mm-hmm. So I did a photo shoot, and in fact, um it was on Washita, and I was on a different lake. Everybody went to Washita, I went to a different lake, and then um I was catching the tar out of fish but they were all small pound and a half to three pounders very small so i get a phone call and one of the guys says dude get your butt up here they're on the beds hard right now so i'm like man but i'm 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 an hour and 45 minutes away by the time i get there i'm gonna have two hours of daylight to fish so and, and we had you know writers with us we were doing shows for uh I mean we were doing a writers event so i said okay we're going i looked at my my uh my writer and i said we're gonna make a road trip let's go so we zoom off the lake we're on we pack everything up off we go to washita now i've never been on washita in my life so we launched the boat and i'm idling out of the uh marina that we launched in and i go holy crap and he goes what I go look at the size of those betters over there. So, I stop in my tracks, I get up on the front deck of the boat and I got my t- typical, you know, sight fishing stuff that I do and I'm ge- and I'm getting them and they're not reacting good and you know, you know when you're sight fishing a bass on a bed when its fins start to get goofy and his dorsal fin sticks up, you know that fish is within a minute of getting caught. Okay. So they're not, they're not reacting. Right. So I, I tied, um, it's very similar to the, to the drop shot fly, but it's made with different material. And I made bluegills. So the, the the flies actually look like bluegills. Okay. So I, I said, Holy crap, I got an idea. Wait a minute. And the guy goes, what are you doing? So I get a rod out. It had 17-pound fluorocarbon on it. I rigged up a drop shot with this bluegill fly on 17-pound fluorocarbon. And I go, watch this. And I pitch that bluegill fly into the bed, and I let it, I killed it. I gave it slack, and that bluegill fly starts to nose down in the bed. This five-pounder comes out of nowhere and just engulfs this thing. And, of course, I got 17-pound fluorocarbon on, so I'm like, whack, you know what I mean? And I get, I land the fish. Well, I go down, there's a series of about six beds in this one little corner. I go down there, and I pluck every single one of them off the bed on that bluegill fly, except for one. One of them I couldn't catch. He just wasn't a catchable one. Dude, it was, and the guy wrote the whole story. It was in Bassmasters. It was either in Bassmasters or Bassin um about this fly and i and i and basically that fly i tied was a imitation of a enrique Puglisi saltwater fly he they tied a pilchard out of this um Puglisi fiber okay it holds its shape really good in fact it holds its shape good enough you could trim it with scissors so i made them bluegill shaped dude it was twisted it was twisted, so that was always one of my secret weapons when I sight fish was the bluegill flies.
0: That's fantastic. I feel like the whopper plopper is kind of a crossover bait. The, Absolutely, the uh, Alabama yes. rig's a crossover bait from saltwater well, and striper trolling.
1: I hundred percent. The Alabama rig is a, a crossover bait.
0: There's so many baits that are that are uh, I think Larry Dahlberg with the whopper plopper, that was a I mean whatever this this current iteration of the whopper plopper was designed mainly for musky
1: correct it was
0: uh there's a lot of crossover baits that people don't understand
1: right and and um well hell I mean look at the look at the cotton Cordell pencil popper
0: stripers right
1: That's a striper bait saltwater striper bait hundred percent so was the red fin the red fin was a striper bait
0: that's interesting uh one of the things that i do want to wrap up and you've mentioned it we've mentioned it throughout the show i know you're big on steelhead i know you're big on trout with the fly fishing uh the current if you're if you're a guy who's not used to fishing current you're going somewhere where there's current i struggled with this and i still struggle with it but my time spent in colorado chasing brook trout Uh, and cutthroats and my time spent in Alaska fishing for rainbow trout and and uh, silvers Mm -hmm. uh, and my time on the little stream fishing for catfish next to where I grew up too it seems like uh, current is very predictable and regardless of what species you're targeting there are certain truths with current that can relate so then when you have an event like a steve kennedy below the pickwick dam or an alabama river edwin evers event or you know any of those crazy river events there's certain guys who just get it and i'm like well those are guys who fish for a lot of different species and current is is very intimidating but also very Predictable. Predictable and educational with other species. And you probably know that more than anybody. What are some basics on, on current that anybody who has a stream river, whether it's a creek, chub, bluegill, trout? All right.
1: So the first thing you got to understand with river systems is you have, to, you have to understand what can cause an eddy, which is a current break. I've seen steelheads sit behind a boulder the size of a baseball. In current so strong, I could not wait across the river. And they sit behind this thing, and they don't move an inch. They're not even fighting it. Every now and then, you'll just see them do that. And then they go. And the and the rock is that big. Okay. Size so what your ha- Yeah. So what happens is the current hits the rock. It goes up over the rock. Because the rock is this big, the current break behind it might be that big. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So what I learned is that the smallest thing can create a current break. Then I see how the fish relate to the current break. What I didn't know um, until I started fly fishing, you know, for steelhead and trout, there's also a current break in front of a big boulder. There'll be a current break right in front of the boulder. And a lot of the aggressive fish will sit in front of the boulder. And everything that gets washed down current that's what they're feeding at your non-aggressive ones will take refuse behind to talk
0: about that all the time with smallmouth on the front mm-hmm. edge of the current break that you always that's 100%. where you're always going to start 100%. but you can't visually see it but if you're stream fishing for it you can actually see the dang you fish see. in front oh, of the it. rock
1: right and you can't believe they're sitting there um you just can't believe they're sitting there because the current is i'm talking we're talking current here Um, And they just sit there like there's nothing like there's like it's nothing. They Mm -hmm. just sit there. You know what I mean? And then you swing your streamer and you have your streamer swing by them. So if this is the boulder and the fish is here and the current's going this way, you string your swing your streamer. So your streamer starts to swing and goes in front of the rock like that. And as soon as that streamer starts to make that turn, that fish comes up and smokes that thing and so that's that's the other thing i learned is that when i'm fishing in current my boat position how i want that boat to be positioned i'm always casting upstream bringing it downstream i'm I'm very rarely in my bass fishing days if the current's going that way a- am i casting against the current because in in nature Fish will use current if you've ever seen I've seen fish position themselves They're upstream and they let the Current push them back and they go Back and then they recorrect themselves and They get back in shape
0: it's in on the white river
1: Right oh the dude I, I that's my bucket list I I want to fish for brown trout on uh, at,
0: Oh dude I've done It like three or four times yeah, the elites are there. Oh it's freaking awesome I caught them on A uh, on a rogue
1: Yeah they kill them on the suspending rogue Over there Yeah, they kill them on it
0: in like two foot of water, you'll see the Browns. They oh, do. They do that. They slide over. They get behind something. You get a series of rocks with that, and you jerk, and then they come out after it. Great. I will say, if you're not around, steelhead, trout, anything like that. Like I grew up in Central Illinois, I fish Stevens Creek, nightcrawler, gold Aberdeen hook, split, split shot, shot. <laughs> carp, drum, oh, bullhead, money. catfish, uh, sunfish, occasional bass. Uh, Creek chubs, all of it. Yeah. But like, if you're going out using other species like that, immediate feedback, then you go to a place like the St. Lawrence, you go to a place with a river, and you can take something of a night crawler fishing from the bank like that, where you get bit, you get on that three mile an hour current. And even though you don't know what the hell you're doing, so much easier to understand when you can relate it back to, hey, here's what it felt like. Here's right. the drifts. Here's the areas where I got bit. And those deals with a head of a nightcrawler on a split shot, bite after bite after bite after bite. After bite.
1: Right. And it's, uh, it's unbelievable because you understand more how they relate to the current and how they move in the current and where they're going to go. When they're aggressive, where are they going to be in that current? When they're neutral, where are they going to be in that current? Yeah. Um And that's what... That's the coolest thing about it to me. I'm um, yeah,
0: fired up. I want to go catch all these different species now.
1: Oh, dude, I'm like, a, I'm like a, a maniac. If it's got fins and eyeballs, I'm fishing for
0: it. One more thing, and this is, this is uh, also key, and I know you, you mentioned the perch, um, but when the bass are on the bluegill beds, I spend a lot of time fishing ponds for red ear and for sunfish that are spawning. Mm-hmm. And uh, visually sitting there two foot down and saying, that's what a school of spawning bluegill look like, and then going to Florida and seeing spotted bluegill, or going to Pickwick and seeing bluegill beds and stuff. Great. When I when I fish that, I'm like, dude, I know what it looks like down there now. It's not just this weird thing. Like, what do you mean the bluegill are spawning? Like, I know what they're doing with their little circles in there and how you've got a male and a female and how they're aggressive and how there's one in each of the little deals and how the bass sit on the outside. Cause on the pond, you can sit there and look at it and they wait for opportune times. I'm visualizing what's happening in big tournament situations based on me going out and catching a bucket full of red ears.
1: Yeah. Because there's a lot of bass tournaments that are predicated around the bluegill spawn and the bluegills don't spawn once a year. They can spawn two to three times a year. And and there usually is a second bluegill spawn, especially on Gunnersville. Um, I learned that on Gunnersville. I was there one time and they're like, yeah, we're fishing the bluegill spawn. I'm like, "What? the bluegills are done spawning, dude. And they're like, no, they spawn in the summer here. And sure enough, you know, you side image it, you could see it instantly um, because they're not like bass beds. Bluegill beds are right on top of each other. All looks like a bunch of contact lenses. Honeycomb. Yeah, it's just like a bunch of contact lenses all on the bottom of the lake. Bass beds will be one here and one there and one here and one there and they're they're random. You know what I mean? Um but the bluegill beds are like pff, you you spot them a mile away. It's fantastic actually. Very That's cool stuff. Fish. I do too, man. I got my I got my crappie box here. I wasn't even going to pull it out.
0: <laughs> let's see let's see what's in it there. Uncle Fred.
1: That's the crappie box. So, so, so here's the deal. So here's something I started doing. Here's something I started, <laughs> my kid's going to kill me. Here's something I started doing a, a couple of years ago. I want to catch big crappies and here our crappie fishing isn't like what you guys got down where you're at. Like a big crappie here is a thirteen inch or a fourteen incher is a really good crappie. So we so nor, ordinarily I'll have a, a roadrunner or a little jig.
0: That's like a Jimmy a, Houston bait that he made famous.
1: Yeah, I'll have a road runner or a little jig oh, with a Bobby Garland um baby shad on it.
0: Yeah, that's a. So that's my here. J-
1: jig head with the Bobby Garland baby shad, and my Road Runner. I got to have one rigged up here,
0: Well, little kicker blade on the back for a little bit of flash.
1: Yeah. So so uh, anyway, I got I got one here. So anyway, so then so with the Road Runner, I do the same thing. I put the Bobby Garland baby shad on on the Road Runner, and this is how I fish it. Okay. And it's fantastic for us because a lot of our crappies, you know, a lot of our crappies are, you know, 9, 10 inches mm-hmm. for the most part. And then every now and then you get into some big ones. Well, I learned that I could start targeting bigger crappies. So what I did was I took the little pulse minnow, the yum pulse minnow, and cut the head off of it and put, put it on the roadrunner. Okay, this is this bait here is I'm going to tell you guys exactly how long this bait here
0: is. Well, all you're doing there is practicing for a spotted bass tournament where they're eating an underspin.
1: Hundred percent. So this is two and a half inch bait right here. That's a two and a half inch bait. Okay. Slaughter of the crappies on this thing, and I catch the walleyes on it too. On these inland lakes, when the walleyes get into the grass beds, forget it forget it so when i go to the spotted bass lakes i'm already i'm dialed in i know exactly what i'm doing you know what i mean and i even throw that on that roadrunner setup on some of the spotted bass lakes too because that becomes more of a subtle approach for the spots but here i would never have thought about that unless i was crappie fishing you Mm -hmm. know know what i mean and that roadrunner catches a ton of spotted bass i mean a ton so I'll use the, you know, the Bobby Garland. I'll use the pulse minnow on it. I can, I'm I'm excited about the forward-facing sonar minnow because that's what I'm going to start throwing on that because now I could appeal to a bigger size crappie, but I can also catch bass on it, and that's way more subtle than a big giant underspin. Way more <clears throat> subtle.
0: Dude, we covered a lot in this show. I know
1: not bad for there's
0: a, a lot of information you know. there a lot of different species we didn't even get into how if you hate drop shot and just go fish a pier that has sheep's head on it
1: <laughs> i know with Isn't a fiddler that- crab oh that is money dude that and those things are so good to eat
0: yeah and they're so hard to hook because they literally have teeth and you learn the difference teeth. on the bite and
1: yeah they're like human teeth so i did a dumb thing with I did a dumb thing with a sheep head and I did a dumb thing with the, the beak, the beak build puffer fish. Yeah. Oh, so, they don't let go. Dude. So no, no. So the first time, okay. The first time I caught a sheep's head, saltwater sheep's head, yeah. um, East coast. Yeah. I was, I was actually at Sanibel, believe it or not. Um, I'm like, what the hell? Because I got this thing and I'm looking at its mouth and it's got teeth like my teeth, only probably better than my teeth. And I'm like, what I'm like, what the what the hell? It's got human teeth. You know what I mean? And my minnow minnows jammed in there. So I grabbed the eyes of the Klauser minnow and I'm monkeying around, monkeying around, and it and it kind of opened up its mouth a little bit. Dude, I stuck my finger in that thing's no. mouth. Forget it. Forget it. Forget it. They, they, it's like a pit bull
0: and I, I was like, they eat cr-. barnacles.
1: Oh dude. It lit me up, man. I was like, holy crap. But, um, but it, it was a cool, it's a cool fish. I mean, it's a really cool looking fish. And then I did the same thing with one of those beak
0: the puffer fish
1: puffer fish with the beaks on them. I couldn't get my fly out and I was just being real ginger like that. And I, and I went in too far and he got me and took a chunk of meat off <laughs> on my finger. But, yeah, that's stupid, but it was fun.
0: That's good stuff. If you want to get in on the crappie stuff, once again, this is the week for fall. What is it called?
1: It's, it's uh, the uh, Fall in Love with Fishing sale on Lurenet.com. And this week, October 6th through the 12th, it's all about crappie. Um, and the, and the six-pack bundle's 20% off, so don't, don't miss out on that. Um, those, those bundles are sweet because you get them below retail. I mean, you can't beat it. Oh, you and, to, and Uncle ten. Frank, all capital letters. Uncle Frank, one word, Paul Rods. Go to their website.
0: All right. You had to catch one fish, not a bass, for the rest of your life.
1: I, I'm so confused because I because there's some saltwater fish that—
0: I know. That's an, Is that an impossible question? It's
1: an impossible question.
0: That's fair enough. You don't have to answer because once I ask it, I knew that I was going to answer it and I can't answer it either. That's why there's more than one species. That's right. And that's why there's more than one way to catch them and that's why there's been 88 day fours. (laughs) And that's why we'll be back with 89 day
1: fours. That's right. Soon to be 89.
0: This has been another episode of day four with the man Frank Scalish. We'll talk to you later.